0: majority of our dogs are actually rescue dogs that were labeled either difficult to adopt or unadoptable because of high energy. And so if you're looking for just a partner to go and have fun with, honestly, I would go and suggest looking at the shelter for the dogs that, say, need an active family or, um, you know, need exercise or something like that, because a lot of times those are some of the best dogs that you can run with.
1: I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, runner and coach Nick Weiss introduces us to the fascinating world of Caney Cross. If you're new to this podcast, in each episode we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other as the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love Dog Words. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosyfund.org to share your thoughts. We welcome suggestions for topics and guests. The only way we know which ones you like is if you tell us. Then we'll try to deliver more of that. If you have a story you'd like to share on DogWords, let us know. Please download, subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share DogWords. Celebrate five years of Rosie Fund by supporting our campaign to sponsor 50 Dogs. You can donate on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website or buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com. Links are in the description. Please follow Rosie Fund on social media. Subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs, including some exclusive content, like the sweet Casey Pet Project dog featured in our latest post. Your donations help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. A few weeks ago, we started adding transcripts to DogWords episodes. The automated transcription is fairly accurate, but it is necessary to review each document before posting to make sure there aren't any substantive errors so it will take some time to get all of our archived episodes transcribed. If there's an episode you would like moved to the top of the list, let us know at rosyfund.org. Next time on Dog Words, we welcome back dog behavior researcher Dr. Ellen Furlong to discuss a clever study of dogs' self-awareness. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today's guest on Dog Words is fitness trainer Nick Weiss, who is a Caney Cross trainer. And until we stumbled across you on the internet, Nick, I had no idea what that is. So welcome to the
0: show. Thank you for having me.
1: You're our first Caney Crosser. What do we call people who do Caney Cross?
0: Um, I I guess a Caney Crosser. That sounds good to me. You're our first
1: Caney Crosser. And can't wait to share with our listeners what that is exactly obviously you're on a show called dog word so i'm sure you have some involvement with dogs so we're going to circle back to that but have you always been a dog person
0: yeah so i got my first dog when i was six months old she was a giant german spitz mix you know for the first 10 years of my life um Spin were what was dogs to me, you know, pointed ears and curl tails. That dog passed away when I was 10 and um, always wanted a Malamute, got a Malamute when I was in my early 20s, and um, now I have nine sled dogs.
1: And you are a Caney Crosser, so we've got your dog background. Tell us what Caney Cross is.
0: So cane across is basically the combination of cross country running and dog sledding. You imagine dog sledding like the Iditarod or something like that where the dog has a harness and pulls a sled. Basically cane across is that except for instead of the dog pulling a sled, the dog is pulling you as the runner.
1: It sounds dangerous, depending on the dog. (laughs) Uh, and I have Malamutes in mind since you were talking about you have nine of them. Probably less dangerous with a yorkie or something like that what breeds tend to participate in cane across
0: at races i've seen everything from you know great danes all the way down to chihuahuas are those different classes
1: or does everybody race against each other
0: it's all one class everybody races against each other now um you know, like I, I competed at the world championship level uh, on three different occasions. The top guys at the world championship level were actually raced with a breed. It's a specialized breed called Graysters. They're basically a mix of German Shorthair Pointer and Greyhound.
1: Okay, because I was thinking there's probably not too many Great Danes at the Yay. elite level.
0: No, um, the, the, the elite level are purpose-bred sled dogs. Um, gracers dominate it. You also have a few Eurohounds, which are um, German short hair pointer and husky crosses. You'll see a few huskies and, and stuff like that. So uh, my wife and I, we have one Malamute. We have two Graysters and then six huskies.
1: As was noted earlier, you've been around dogs all your life. Have you been around running all your life, or when did you start doing that?
0: I started running in junior high. I ran all through junior high, all through high school. I actually went to college to run. Ended up getting hurt my freshman year of college and had to take about 18 months off. After that, um, I was kind of frustrated with my fitness level just because I knew I was never going to be as good of a runner as I had being a college runner. hmm Actually, it was that Malamute that we got that really got me back into running. Like I had mentioned earlier, I always wanted a Malamute. I had done my breed research. I knew that they were high energy. I guess I just didn't know how high energy he was going to be. And when he was about six months old, my wife and I had a conversation. We were like, we have to find some way to burn energy off of Ruger is his name, or he's going to destroy our entire house. And so... Did some research for things we could do with him and found online across and so started running with him and the rest is history. Too
1: few people do that when they have a dog that's destructive. They try to train it out of them, try to reward them for doing nothing. When they have a dog that has high energy, that's what that dog is. So I commend you for sticking with the dog and not just neglecting it or saying, well, this is just a bad dog. You did the right thing. You figured out this is a high-energy dog. What can we do to burn this energy? You found something that fit your lifestyle, and you started doing Caney Cross. Now, I looked online and saw the tethers that you have with Caney Cross because I see people jogging all the time with their dog, and they have the leash you know wrapped around their wrist or just hanging loose, or occasionally people who are running and their dog isn't even on a leash, which concerns me in the environments where i see this happening describe how you are attached to the dog in Caney cross
0: the dog wears a pulling harness Um, if you google any dog sled race it's a harness very similar to that they're not pulling from their collar so their breathing is not restricted in any way and then you wear a waist belt And then you have an elastic line that connects you to the dog. And you definitely want elastic there because if you don't, A, it can be hard on the dog, and B, it can be hard on you. Yeah, we've all had the experience
1: walking our dog where you're not paying full attention, and then they lock in on a scent and just plant or pancake. And even if you're not running, it can almost pull your shoulder out. So I can imagine going full speed, and one of you has to stop or trips or change direction.
0: You hit the nail on the head there. It's it's all about trying to reduce that sudden jar that can happen anytime you have a dog on a leash.
1: A couple months ago, we had retired veterinarian Dr. Vern Ott on the show, who volunteered multiple years at Iditarod and uh, talked about the dogs will know the route and that when they change the route, which is going to be really interesting this year to see how dogs respond because due to COVID they rerouted things so that they wouldn't be as close to some of the villages and they'd cover different terrain and just go up and back. And so they're reduced contact. But a few years ago, they even just changed a route with, uh, they used to go out on a peninsula and instead of going out on the peninsula, they just cut across Mm -hmm. and there was a lead dog who had done the race enough times that he knew that the human was wrong like we go out on this peninsula we don't just cut across that's cheating and it took like two or three years before that lead dog would finally accept that no we've changed the route so with your dogs that you run with how well do they know the route are they leading are you leading do you have to change it up so that they don't get locked in on a specific route so that they do have that flexibility how does that work
0: We work very hard on commands so that the dogs know whenever I say turn right, turn right, turn left, turn left. We do try to change it up a lot. Now, in saying that, for a race that we do year after year, some of our dogs, you can go the entire race and not give them a single command, and they will do the route perfectly. For example, Ruger, our Malamute, he's probably the absolute best at knowing directions for a dog. Um, We have a trailer. Uh, an enclosed trailer that has air conditioning and everything that all of our dogs traveling when we go to races and whatnot. And you can put him in there. There's no windows to the outside. He has no idea where he's at. should have no idea where he's at. But every time we get five minutes away from someplace that we run, you can hear him start to howl on the back of the trailer.
1: He knows you're there. So it's yeah. some sort of connection to magnetic fields or smells or combination or just... We don't deserve dogs. They're too smart for us or too good for us. Yeah. How long is the typical race? Is there even a typical race?
0: The typical race is somewhere between one mile and five miles. They tend to gravitate toward about that 5K, you know, three mile race.
1: Is it the same sort of terrain that you would get on just your typical 5K that people are familiar with?
0: Generally speaking, they're off-road, just because dogs that are really pulling hard, they can hurt their paws by running on too much on asphalt. And so uh, running on dirt and gravel and trails through the woods and through a field, that, that's a lot easier on the dog's joints and their paws. So most of them are off-road.
1: And how do you train for this? Because a dog has perhaps more energy than you. Do you yeah. run as much as they do?
0: Our training is actually threefold. The first part of it is I just go out there and run with my dogs quite a bit, running with them together. The second part is I do train my dogs some um, with them running without me. So like I mentioned, we have nine dogs. We'll train a group of them pulling an A T V. That's the equivalent of like weight training for mm-hmm. a person. So you and just then, put it
1: in uh, neutral and
0: so actually, we don't put it in neutral. We actually leave it in gear, but not to help out; more to hold them back. Wow. Because if you leave it in neutral, you actually burn out your brakes quite quickly. <laughs> so, my local ATV shop knows me pretty well as the guy that burns out the brakes on his ATV way too quickly. So, but then the third part of the training is I go and run by myself, just because um, you know we race as a team and. The human is always slower than the dog, and I'm the weak link on the team, and so I have to work to improve that part for us to race well together.
1: You train other people to do Caney Cross. Are there people who do this just for the fitness or just for the fun or just for the bonding with their dog with no interest whatsoever in racing?
0: Oh, absolutely. My wife and I have a coaching business where um, we target canine Cross athletes. And, uh, I mean, we have some of our clients are people that basically all they want to do is just lose a little bit of weight and run with their dog and maybe have a race that they would like to complete in the future. And then other of our clients go all the way up to working to qualify for their national team for the next World Championships.
1: When do they typically hold the world championships? Because I'm thinking over the last year, a lot of world championships have had to accommodate the the COVID impact.
0: Yeah, so um, there's two different international organizations that sanction a cane across world championship. One is IFSS, that stands for International Federation of Sled Dog Sports. The other is ICF, which is International Cane Across Federation. Each of those organizations hold their world championships every other year, but they alternate years. So basically there's a world championship every year. You have IFSS World Championships in odd number years, so 2017, 2019, 2021. And then ICF World Championships are even number years, so 2018, 2020. Now the 2020 ICF World Championship was postponed to 2021. So this year, they'll actually be two, assuming they don't get
1: canceled again due to COVID. Again, I had not heard of this before. I'd heard of ski-joring. Yeah. So ski-joring is a different
0: sport. It's basically the exact same, except for instead of running, you're skiing.
1: That makes sense. I guess then my question is, how big is this sport? It's big enough to have a world championship and two governing bodies, international governing bodies. And not that I know everything. But not big enough that i'd heard of it prior to a couple months ago
0: yeah so here in the u.s is actually very small over in europe is actually much bigger than it is here uh in fact it seems know, like we, the sort
1: of thing that the scandinavians and the germans and poles like northern europe seems like they would be all over this
0: you you're absolutely correct in fact uh you know, when we travel to Europe for races, um, we often get asked when we check into hotel rooms, "Which sponsor is picking up your your tab for the say. And so, I mean, that, that's how big it is over there.
1: And you just kind of mumble some big sponsor and see if they'll pick up the tab. And
0: no, we have to kind of answer sheepishly. Well, actually, uh, we're we're paying for it.
1: We're Americans.
0: Yeah.
1: So there is sponsors. So, so there's people who. This is their whole thing, just like a, a big cycling team that's sponsored by FedEx or something. There's Caney Cross teams that are sponsored by big corporate entities that we would know, or like a, a golfer that wears the swag or a NASCAR.
0: Yeah, and actually, I'm sponsored by um, Nonstop stop Dogwear. I don't know if you've ever um, heard of the company, but um, it's uh, for dog sled gear, it's one of the largest companies in the world.
1: So there's sponsorships with this, and there's international uh, competition, and I would imagine the entry for someone into this sport is not too burdensome. You just have to have a quality pair of running shoes and a good harness and a dog.
0: That's pretty much it. That's pretty Um, much it. It's pretty low barriers to entry, and... It's fun. I mean, getting out there and running with your dog. I mean, it's just something that's really fun to do. It's really exciting to get out there and and participate.
1: You can do candy Cross with any dog that'll run, and you were looking for something to burn Ruger's energy. Do people find the dog first, or do they already have the dog and look for some outlet for candy Cross? Where do Candy Cross dogs typically come from?
0: It runs a complete range. You have some people that go out there and um, buy a dog specifically for this sport. But, um, you know, majority of our dogs are actually rescue dogs that were labeled either difficult to adopt or unadoptable because of high energy. And so if you're looking for just a partner to go and have fun with, honestly, I would go and suggest looking at the shelter for the dogs that, say, need an active family or, you um, you know, needs exercise or something like that because a lot of times those are some of the best dogs that you can run with
1: those are also the dogs that have a challenge in getting adopted because they often do not present well in a shelter because you go in and you want to make a connection with that dog that is sitting there and looking you in the eye and the dog that's bouncing off the inside of the kennel because it's going to get its walk just after you leave you're going to miss out on that dog There's been so many dogs that we've either sponsored through Rosie Fund or that we've met in volunteering at shelters that are labeled as not for the novice walkers or only staff can walk them, or you have to have a special harness, or they're hard to get in and out of the kennel. And what I've found, not all of those dogs, because some of them do have some socialization that they need to learn, but with many of those dogs, get them out the door and start running. And after a few blocks of them running, they don't have to necessarily keep running, but just knowing that running is an option seems to calm them down. That, okay, this guy gets it, and we're going to get to run.
0: Actually, um, one of our dogs, Oso, he's a shelter dog that we got from Heartland Husky Rescue down in Oklahoma. The rescue actually told us after we got him that if it didn't work out with us, they were giving up on him. He was just going to become a permanent rescue dog, stay with them, mm-hmm. and uh, they were going to quit trying to adopt him. But basically what would happen is every family that came and looked at him, the second they touched a leash, he would start screaming, start jumping, and just was completely unmanageable. And they told us afterward that every family that looked at him, the second they touched a leash, they didn't even walk him. They said, no, we're, we're, we're good. Because they think
1: it's an aggressive dog.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know we picked up the leash to take him out for a walk. My wife and I did, and it was like, this dog is great. He is going to love running so much. This, he's the best dog here that we could
1: get. It was just his enthusiasm for, there's the leash. I'm going to get outside. I'm going to walk. I'm going to run. I'm going to get fresh air. I'm going to get sunshine. And, yeah, adopters misread that all the time. And it's understandable that they might not trust the staff or volunteers who tell them, no, this is a great dog. When we walk it, once we get it out, it's, yeah, 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 okay. Uh, can we look at this puppy that's sleeping in the next kennel? Yeah. That's, that's uh, I think, more our speed. But, yeah, that's, that's great. Find a dog that matches your lifestyle, and there's more than enough of them in the shelter. Exactly. You indicated that you started this because you are looking for something to burn all of Ruger's energy, is there playtime for Ruger, or is this pretty much all of Ruger's activity?
0: No. So, uh, all of our dogs, when we're not home, they stay outside because if, if they were put in a crate all day, they would be unmanageable whenever no. we got home. That they need time to go run and play and wrestle with each other and everything like that.
1: It sounds like they have a good... Life, Did this open up a whole new world of dog care for you? You go from having a dog that you're just wanting to find a way to burn all its energy to now it's competing in world competition. Did that change your relationship with your vet and how you feed the dog and just general wellness for the dog? Oh,
0: absolutely. We always fed what we considered to be, you know, good quality dog food before we really got involved in this. But just like any elite human athlete, you know, diet matters. Mm-hmm. Since I've gotten involved in cane crops, um, I've probably done more research on vitamins and supplements and fish oil and all the things that need to be added to dog food and different dog food brands, and we have a very good relationship with our vet. In fact, I kind of worry it's a little bit too good of a relationship because uh, I think we probably visit them about once a week, Mm it seems like sometimes. Having nine athletes, because that's what our dogs are, they're athletes. You have to take care of them because if you don't take great care of them, They can't perform. They're not happy. And that's the biggest thing
1: is we want them to be happy. It's tough with dogs as far as making sure they're happy because they love you. And so they're always going to be happy to see you. But we talked about the way dogs will hide pain. We had uh, Dr. Kimberly Hunt, a chiropractor, on who said that uh, if you see your dog take a spill and then walk it off, you think, okay, they're fine. And then a month later, oh, my dog is limping. I don't know why, it was because a month earlier they took a spill, but dogs will hide it because in the wild, you show weakness, you're going to get cut from the herd, or you're going to lose your status or your hierarchy in the pack. So you can't have a dog always tell you when they're hurt, and also they can't tell you, you know, that dog food just kind of is heavy in my stomach when I run. Whereas as a human, you know, I ate that protein bar, I'm never eating that protein bar again because that didn't get me through the race. Whereas with a dog, you just have to be in tune with them. It's, I guess, intuitive? Or do you do some sort of checkup on them on a daily basis or weekly basis in addition to your weekly veterinarian visits?
0: It's both. Every time we put a harness on or take a harness off of them, so every time they train, we always check range of motion and especially we check their paws to make sure they don't have any cuts because that's where we found... They're most likely to hide something is they could get a cut on their paw, not show it at all, and then you go off for a run and you make that cut worse.
1: Because like the, the dog day. will and suck you- it up like n- no human ever could, and hide Correct. that pain because they want to please you. They don't want to show weakness to the rest of the pack, and they will go until they can't go.
0: It, It'll- you're exactly right. And then um, you know the second part of that is. Just knowing your dog. I mean, a lot of the training we do with our dogs is just learning them. I mean, yes, there's physical conditioning of it, but it's learning to read their body language. And from that aspect, if one of our dogs is having an off day, we know that pretty quickly because we know how they should be acting, you know, a half mile into a run, a mile Mm -hmm. into a run, two miles into a run. If they're not acting that way, we know that something's up and we need to get checked out.
1: That's a lesson for all dog owners, knowing their dog and going back to what you said about every time you put the harness on checking their pads, I'll admit there's been times where I've noticed our dog peaches limping. And then you see a cut and you can tell, well, that's not a new cut. Yeah. How did I not notice that earlier? But there's no reason why this animal that depends on you and loves you and that you love in return shouldn't get a checkup from you every time you go out for a walk. You're putting the harness on, whether it's a candy Cross harness or just clipping a lead to their collar. Check each of their feet. Every time they come in from the yard, check their feet. We do that when it's muddy out. We check their feet selfishly because we don't want them tracking mud. But if you do it every time, it's easy to clean the mud off. And then when there's no mud, you're also checking to make sure that your dog Is healthy and you're checking the range of motion on their joints. Because if a dog is limping or showing some other signs of injury or distress, and you go to the vet, they're going to ask, Have you noticed a difference in their range of motion? Well, if you don't have a baseline to compare it to, it's like, I don't know if there's an issue with their range of motion. I don't know what their range of motion is. Well,
0: yeah. And if you have multiple dogs, each dog's range of motion is different. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like people, for example, ruger he's a very inflexible dog that we have denali another one of our dogs she's extremely limber and so if you were to compare denali and say well she's more flexible than ruger well yeah but that doesn't mean that she hasn't lost range of motion because of some injury. Mm -hmm. because she started out with a much more flexible body to begin with
1: yeah and also like humans a dog can be asymmetrical it can have One range of motion in its left hip that it doesn't have in its right hip. And so if you just see its right hip doesn't move in the same range of motion, I think there's something wrong with the right hip. It's just like comparing the two dogs. Maybe the right hip is fine and the left hip has more range of motion than the right, but not as much range of motion as it used to. And that's actually the one that's a problem. Yeah. Or the tighter right hip might be compensating for the hypermobile left hip. So we could talk forever about the biomechanics of people and dogs, but the bottom line is know your dog and know yourself so that you can take better care of them. So this is a growing sport. Just the fact that we're having it on our podcast, Dog Words. <laughs> it's going to explode overnight. But I'd really like to bring people's awareness to this, that there's structured exercise that you can get with your dog and will benefit you, will benefit the dog. There's the opportunity for being competitive in this or just being casual and having fun with your dog. If somebody wants to, rather than reinvent the wheel, access a trainer such as yourself, how would they contact you, Nick?
0: If they want to contact me, so um, easiest way is probably through Facebook. If you look up Lucky Fox Coaching, that's the name of our business, they can contact us that way. If they want to do research just on the sport in general, if they go to nonstopdogwear.com, they have some very helpful resources for you know what you need to start and get into the sport that way. And they can also do what I did. I just Googled running with my dog and kind of took where the search went from there and found what I wanted
1: to learn. I will put links in the description to make that search easier for people. I am excited to see the future of Caney Cross. And if you ever have any exciting news to share about any of your races, particularly any international races, Let us know so we can update our
0: listeners. Any final thoughts
1: before we let you go, Nick?
0: If you're going to participate in CanerCross, know your dog. And the most important step to get into the sport is just get out there and do it. Take your dog for a run and see if you and your dog enjoy it.
1: And enjoy it is the key that no matter what level you are at with this, a beginner or a world champion, it should be fun. Absolutely. You're spending time with the dog. Nick, thank you so much for enlightening us today, and we look forward to having you on again.
0: Thank you. I enjoyed talking
1: with you. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Nick Weiss for joining us today. Links to his website, luckyfoxkennel.com, is in the description, along with direct links to his coaching page and social media. Also, check out the really cool gear at nonstopdogwear.com. It's not just for racers. This is really cool stuff. There are also links to the Dog Words episodes we referenced in today's interview. If you find an old episode you like, be sure to share it with your friends. Next time on Dog Words, Dr. Ellen Furlong discusses dogs' self-awareness. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Celebrate five years of Rosie Fund by supporting our campaign to sponsor 50 dogs. You can donate on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website or buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com. Links are in the description. As always, please download, subscribe rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media and please subscribe to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel. Our latest post features a sweet Casey Pet Project dog that's available for adoption. Your donations help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions at rosiefund.org and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words Podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.